Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. talk about a few verses here and uh, and as I said a moment ago in our second service we're certainly going to take some time to talk about a few minutes our mothers and then to honor uh, to honor them the book of James chapter 1 and verse number 4 James writes let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse number 8, James seems to capsulize this particular thought by saying a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and so we've been talking from the book of James for a few services and if, if you haven't been a part of that series I will try to do what I can to help you connect to that this morning but uh, we recognize that trials are a part of our life there is no way around them often and so we simply must acquiesce to the spirit of God and the will of God and go through them. The hope that we have in that is that the Lord promised that he would go through them with us. And so it's not a lone ranger journey, but it is the Lord helping us and strengthening us and establishing our steps before him. I used the scripture a couple of services ago in this series where the Lord talked about the young and tender leaf and the blossoms and how that from that we know that summer is coming. We know that from experience. And so I realize today that I'm speaking to an audience that uh, perhaps there is a broad mixture of spiritual experience here represented this morning. But I think that we can safely say uh, that all of us have experienced enough things in life and enough things in our walk with God to know a few things. I mean, there are some things that's just settled. We know that. God, if God has ever healed you, then healing is not a subject that's up for debate in your life. You know that God is a healer. And um, whether or not God heals you each and every time is irrelevant to the matter because God is in charge of those things but if he has ever healed us in any capacity we know that he is a healer if God has ever honored your finance by you honoring his financial plan those are things that you know and so no doubting Thomas can come your way because you have experienced that and you have watched God make a way where there simply 
was no way. I was thinking about the scripture the other day where the Lord told the children of Israel uh, that he would not, uh, that he would take care of them in their journey, their wilderness journey. And, and uh, the scripture refers to something uh, like he would not allow their feet to swell. Amen. That he would just keep them. He would just hold them. And so they marched all of those years and uh, never had to ever worry about what they were going to put on their feet. Amen. I, I, I heard a reference to that a number of years ago that the same material that was used to, in that day to make shoes is the same material that they used to cover the, the badger skin of the tabernacle. And so the Lord said, if you'll give that to me, then I'll take care that you won't need it anywhere else because you've already given that to me. And so when we experience those things, we know there are some things that we know and our faith can be tried, but there are some things that are always that are already settled. And so James gives five keys uh, for persevering through the trials that we, that we face. So far in our series, we've discussed two of those about what our attitude should be when we are faced with uncertainties of life. And that attitude is joy. That's a lot different than being giddy and silly, but there's just a settled joy in our heart who for the joy that was set before him, amen, in, in Hebrews 12. The second, the second aspect of that would be the ability to understand where we are in our walk with God. And sometimes trials certainly do. Uh, they're very telling. They're very revealing. Isn't that right? They're very revealing. And uh, it's kind of like stepping on, I don't want to, get in trouble here today, but it's kind of like stepping on a set of scales. It's pretty revealing. I went to the doctor for a routine checkup uh, just a few weeks ago, and I stepped on the scale, and the lady, um, you know, I'm assuming from experience, she kind of slid those weights where she thought they would be, and she slid them a few notches too low. And, uh, and so she started easing them back, easing them back, easing them back. And under her breath, I'm sure she didn't mean to say this, but under her breath, she said, I never would have guessed it. <laughs> I left there and went to Daniel's funeral home. I thought we just might as well go ahead and make some arrangements here. <laughs> I know she could have melted when those words came out. She meant to think those and not say those. And I said, you, I just on the scale at her, I said, you're telling me. <laughs> We're in this together. I never would have guessed it. So trial, <laughs> trials, oh God, help us to get back on track here. Amen. But trials can be very telling. They just reveal some things in us, weaknesses or strengths. And uh, we talked Wednesday night about those knowing things. And, and today I want to talk about uh, the ability of submitting our will to the will of God and the importance of that when we are walking through uncertain times. Verse four says that we need to let patience have her perfect work, that we could be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Most often the only way, as I mentioned a moment ago, through trials are simply to walk through them. You just have to keep pressing on. It's not fun, it's not pleasant, it's not always easy, but there are just some things in life that show up on our doorstep and guess what? They're not going away. This is not like a rain cloud that's just moving with the current. It's not going away, it's gonna be there for a while and, and, and so the Lord does promise 
to preserve his people through those times and those seasons. And he will reveal a portion of himself to us that we would have never been able to see otherwise. And so God can't complete his work in us if we do not submit our will to his will and just say, Lord, I know this is where we are. And so we're gonna make this journey together. And so when we come to understand that that God doesn't use our trials to harm us, amen, then we can begin to see then and only then that trials are beneficial, that God is going to shape me, he's going to mold me, he's going to give birth to something in my life. Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, made this wise declaration in Job chapter five. He said, I would seek the Lord, I would seek unto God, rather, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause which doth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth sendeth waters upon the fields to set up on high those that be low, those which mourn may be exalted to safety. Amen. He had quite an an insightful view of what it is like to walk through uncertain times. In one of David's prayers, he testified of this in Psalms 131. He said, the Lord, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself even as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. And that may not be how we would pray today in 2017, but if we could get the essence and the principle behind what David was saying here, he had grown and matured through troubles and afflictions in his life, and he had certainly many afflictions in his life, but he continued to stay intimate with the Lord. He didn't allow the troubles and the trials of life to jade his spirit to the point of bitterness and uncertainty even just as a weaned child continues to cling to its mother. It doesn't walk away just because it's weaned. There is still a relationship there. And so it's that submissive will that we must have when we go through trials in life. The scripture said, let patience have her perfect work. The word perfect here does not suggest moral or spiritual perfection. It doesn't even suggest sinlessness. But it refers to that which is fully developed. So let patience have its fully developed work in us. Let it give birth to something in us that can establish our steps before the Lord. The word speaks to mature, referring, of course, to spiritual maturity in Christ's likeness. That's the goal of endurance and perseverance. It's not trying to get a trophy at the end, but when we come out the other side, we're going to be more established in our ways. Our faith is going to be more set and more secure. Verse four says that, that ye may be perfect and entire. James says wanting nothing. Amen. There's gonna be a wholeness. There's gonna be a completeness. It's not meaning desiring nothing that our desires are gonna be met, but there's nothing lacking. The scale is balanced. There is nothing wanting. The end result of trials, I think, should be maturity, completeness, not lacking anything of spiritual importance or value. The writer of Simon Peter in 1 Peter 5 and 10, I'm just gonna read this. After you have suffered a little while, that God, that the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, 
confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what the Lord is trying to do. He's not picking on us, amen, but he wants us to be affirmed and established in our steps, able to, to withstand troubles and trials and times. Moab was a, a pagan nation southeast of Israel, and Jeremiah wrote something very insightful about Moab. I want to turn our attention here for just a moment. Jeremiah 48 and 11. The Bible says, Moab hath been at ease from his youth and he hath settled on his lees and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent is not changed. Amen. I, I, I realize I'm just kind of plucking a scripture out of the air here, but stay with me just a moment. What Jeremiah is referring to is wine. And he's likening this wine to Moab or Moab to wine. Good wine has to repeatedly be emptied from vessel to vessel in order for it to become sweet or even drinkable. It's in this process of letting the wine set and the lees and the dregs settle to the bottom. And when they settle to the bottom, you pour the wine into another vessel without disturbing, hopefully, the lees and the dregs of this vessel. But obviously, there's gonna be a little bit that's gonna get in the next vessel. So you let it set for just a little while and when it settles, then you pick up the vessel and you pour it again. And this time you're leaving and with each pouring of the vessel or emptying from vessel to vessel, you're getting less and less lees and dregs into the wine until in time it becomes pure. It becomes drinkable. Amen, it's that unsettling nature. Now I know in our minds we're thinking of just kind of pouring something and that doesn't seem very upsetting, but if we could put ourselves in the world of the lees and the dregs, we have to realize that about the time they get all settled down, somebody picks it up and stirs it again. And doesn't that seem like how life is sometimes? <laughs> about the time we got everything settled down just where we wanted it, we feel that heavenly hand pick up the vessel and here we go again and we're thinking, what in the world is up? Without realizing that every time there are less and less leaves and dregs that are left behind and what is left is becoming more and more pure. And so I wonder if we could just capture that thought in our mind and realize that God is not trying us to mess with us, as I have said so often. He's not trying us to pick on us, but he is trying to make our spiritual walk with God more palatable. And so, yes, he could leave it all there and leave it all settled on the bottom, but we would really be undone and incomplete. And so he says, but we, we can just pour from vessel to vessel. And so Jeremiah said of Moab, the problem with Moab is that he has been at ease from his youth and the lack of trouble, the lack of peril, the lack of anything wrong, amen, has caused him to settle on his lees, and the lees and the dregs are tainting the wine, amen, therefore the taste, he says, his taste remains in him, and his scent is not changed, Jeremiah personalized that, 
Amen. He was talking about wine, but he made it very personal about Moab. He said the problem is there's too much Moab in Moab. <laughs> Amen. He, he still tastes like Moab, and he still smells like Moab. And just let me today for the sake of argument say that sometimes I believe the Lord is just saying the problem with Jerry is he just tastes too much like Jerry. And the problem with Everett since he's leaving. I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't leave after I said this. I would have been wondering. The problem with Everett is he still smells like Everett. Amen. So I got to keep pouring him from vessel to vessel. We got speakers in the lobby so he can still hear me. Amen. We got, we got to keep pouring. We got to pour. And, and, and every time we think we have it together, that nature rises up within us. And we think, you know, I'm pretty spiritual. I'm pretty strong. And then all of a sudden we get that, that taste. And it's me. It's still me. And that, that, that aroma that came out in all of this wasn't sweet. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. What was wrong was it smelled like me. Amen. And so he said the problem with Moab is he's not had any problems. <laughs> the issue with Moab is he's, he's just had it easy his whole life. Nothing ever interrupting him. And, you know, that's what we think we would like. Just that perfect world where never anybody makes a phone call announcing bad news or everything just goes our way. But the Lord said that will be detrimental to you in the end because the more I let you have your way, the more you're going to taste like you and smell like you. And so he said, I got to empty you from vessel to vessel. I'm not messing with you. I'm just trying to get the dregs out of your life. I'm trying to remove the leaves from the wine amen because it's not bottled to just put on the shelf it's not bottled to just brag about it it's not bottled just for the sake of adding to the inventory but it's bottled because we need to use this and so can I tell you today that God has not planted us in the family called the church just so we can add another number to the church but he said I've got you planted because I need to use you one day it's utilitarian in thought God is not trying to gain inventory God is not just trying to add to the numbers. He's very utilitarian in his thought. I need to use you, but right now there's too much of you for me to use you. I need this vessel, but right now you smell too much like you, and I would never be able to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. Amen. And so we need several times of pouring and pouring and pouring. And in our case, because we're always picking up more leaves and dregs, we got to keep being poured and keep being poured and keep being poured. Amen. Joe, Jeremiah's point that, that this undisturbed life really equals an untested life. You can build the most beautiful bridge in the world, but eventually you got to drive over it. Eventually. Something has to test to see if it really will work. The government didn't build that just to look at it. It's not just so someone can say, we connected two dots. We spanned a riverbank again. It was utilitarian in thought. We need to get this from here to here. And there's an obstacle in the way. And so we've got 
Someone has got to drive over this. Someone has got to test this to make sure. Amen. Therefore, there is a point to the problems that we have in our life. David writes with assurance in the 37th Psalm, verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Yea, they, thou shalt diligently consider his place and shall not be, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Just wait, just wait, just wait. Sometimes we see the turmoil and the havoc in our lives and we look across the way and often we misjudge someone else for having no problems. But let's also just add another layer of reality to it. It does seem like at times that the more evil a person is, the more they're blessed. That's our little church word, blessed there. Everything they touch turns to gold. And they're so crooked when you... When they die, they won't need a coffin. You'll just be able to turn them into the ground. Amen. Well, you must know a lot of those folks. I don't know. And we wonder. We wonder. And David said, just a little while. Just a little while and the wicked shall not be because I will snuff them out. He said, you need to diligently consider his place because mark it because one day it won't even be. Amen. He said, but the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Amen. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Perhaps the most severe trial ever recorded faced by humanity, I would think, would be found in Genesis 22 when Abraham was called on to sacrifice his son. This seems barbaric in nature and I think if we lose sight of one particular scripture in Hebrews, it will remain barbaric in our mind. Abraham had several reasons to be completely taken by the demand of God. It just seems like I mean, he's, you know, this didn't happen in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. He was a long way in his life and a long time coming and he finally gets his promise and now God has asked him to take his only son by Sarah at least and that because it was the son of Sarah, it was the son of promise who the Lord said who all the, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so it seems like God is asking him, this doesn't make sense. You said this was going to be the child through all, through all the earth, how the whole earth would be blessed. And now you're asking me to take him and kill him. And so from a human perspective, the, the death of Isaac would certainly prevent the promise from being fulfilled. And then now we're running the risk of nullifying a God-given covenant. This makes no sense. Not only that, human sacrifice was paganistic. And so God is asking Abraham to do something that only pagans do. 
That was the opposite of everything Abraham had ever known about God. And now God is saying, come here. And none of this makes sense. I know it's a familiar story, but every aspect of God's demand was inconceivable. If, if the Lord had ever commanded one of his saints to do something that would justify an argument, I think this would be it. At least to raise our hand and say, excuse me. I have, I think, a legitimate question. Amen. But Abraham, according to what we know in Scripture, made no argument, asked for no explanation, anything that we can gather. He moved without hesitation, resentment, or question. Abraham made the necessary preparations and then began the journey and continued to carry out the Lord's orders until the moment the Lord intervened in Genesis 22 and 12. Although he had earlier said, when Isaac asked in verse 8, about the sacrifice, he said, God will provide himself a lamb. And even though he said, God will provide himself a lamb, he continued to carry out the order of the Lord. I'm not trying to insult you with a familiar story, but I want us to get this frame by frame so that we can watch it play out. Abraham was about to take Isaac's life when no animal sacrifice was in sight. Now again, that sounds barbaric, but I believe we can turn to Hebrews and find an explanation for this in Hebrews 11 and 19. Amen. Here is how Abraham could move with such great confidence. Amen. He said, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. <laughs> Amen. From whence also he received him in a figure. And so Abraham's mindset, Brother Gibson, was if this is what God wants me to do, the promise of him being a father of nations is still on the table. It's not been removed. Any promise that God has said that he would take care of, he's going to take care of. Even if I slay him on this altar, God will raise him up even from the dead. And so Abraham, this father, was not some barbarian who was about to just uh, uh, at the bloodletting of his own son, but he was standing there in absolute confidence and trust in the Lord. Abraham did not count on there being a way out. Hear me today. He didn't count on there being a way out. He clearly owned it only counted on God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, and his power, if need be, to raise the dead. He has never left me up to this moment. He's never forsaken me up to this very day. And so I'm, what are you going? Where are you going? What are you gonna do? I'm moving forward. I'm gonna do what the Lord said to do, and he will take care of all those other items, amen. And because of his unconditional faith, God counted him righteous. No wonder then he became the father of all who believe. That's what Paul called him in Romans, the father of all who believe, amen. Although we may never be tested to the extreme that Abraham was tested, we nevertheless will never escape tests. The Lord assures us in, the world, in this world you shall have tribulation. Even more explicitly, he says in John 15 and 20 that a servant is not greater than his master. Amen. So he said, if they persecuted me, <laughs> they're gonna persecute you. 
because the servant is not greater than his master. The third key in James to making it through trials and to grow the way the Lord desires us to grow is through a submissive heart that says yes to the Lord. Yes to the Lord. James chapter one, verse five, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if we could summarize these four verses here today. Amen. Another way of persevering is to believe. I'm not talking about false, pretentious belief, frail, fragile belief, but solid and secure. I know, I believe. Amen, I believe that without such, we would never see the strength of God or his arm made bare for us, especially when we're going through trials. It's then that we need a special measure of understanding to help us through. That need, according to James, should drive us to ask God to supply the understanding and the wisdom that we need. Amen. Strong and sound faith is not based on what we feel, what we can see, what we can hear, but it's based on the knowledge and the understanding of the promises of God's truth, his word. That's already settled. Amen. This is spiritualism. We need to remember the words of Solomon when he penned this in Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Solomon was trying to, if I could give you a word picture this morning, grab us by the neck, the nap of our neck to the, to the collar, amen, and shake us and say, you need to get one thing straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Be not wise in thy own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Amen, we need to have that courage and that confidence to trust him. Later in the epistle of James, God's wisdom will be described in James 3.17. Amen, I'll read this to you first. He said, it will be first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. That is, that is the, the, the wisdom of God described for us. Amen, and Job's final response to his friends and, and would-be counselors. Job makes a running commentary in the book of Job chapter 28 and the commentary that I refer to begins in verse number 12 and, and, and runs down through about verse 21. But here's Job's final response to his friends. He said, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not in me. It cannot be bought for gold. Silver cannot weigh as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir in precious, the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. 
No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is far above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. And this is Job's bleeding response to his would-be counselors. Amen. So then, if we can't find wisdom in any of these things that Job refers to, where, for crying out loud, can it be found? And where is this place of understanding? And so Job simply answers that in verse 23. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. God knows. So just keep walking with him because he knows how to get there. God and God alone is our source of wisdom and that's James. That's James's point. And so it should go without saying that trials should enhance our prayer life. By all means, trials should turn us toward God and not away from God. And if trying times are pushing you away from God, can I be just plain and simple with you today and tell you you're letting the devil win because we need to be pushed toward God. We need to turn to him for guidance and turn to him for strength and turn to him for patience and turn to him for wisdom. And when we ask God for his wisdom, James gives us this assurance. He gives it generously and he gives it without reproach. Amen. He just opens his heart, his arms, whatever you want to identify it as, and God gives it. Amen, he gives it because it's the Lord's desire to impart divine understanding abundantly into the heart of saints. Amen, so that's one of the most beautiful and I think encouraging promises in all of scripture when he says, if you need it, let him ask. (laughs) Amen, let him ask. I wanna just say something here and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about this at all because I think we've all been here but I have had people through the years talk to me about some very trying things and they say, I just don't know what I'm going to do about this or I don't know what I'm going to do about that. And one of the first questions that I ask historically is this, have you prayed about this? And we would all be shocked at how often we haven't prayed about the very things that are perplexing us. I'm talking to the man holding the mic as well today. We would be shocked at how we just kind of bypassed prayer. We went right straight to worry and fret and anxiety. And 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 and, and, and I, I one time was thinking about who could I call? I'm just gonna be very transparent. Who could I talk to about this situation? And I felt the spirit of God grieved in my heart. Amen, I felt like the Lord was saying, you're trying to search for somebody to pick up the phone and talk to, and you haven't even talked to me about this. Amen. Let's find ourselves here this morning. Amen. Because he said, if you need something, just ask for it. Ask for it. I shared this several months ago, but I was in prayer and there was a need and and I began to think about that passage of scripture that you have not because you ask not. And I don't want you to think that it was pride that kept me from asking, but it just felt funny. Because we're more, way more comfortable thinking, I got this. I I know we don't wanna label that too quickly, pride and arrogance, but probably at the end of the day, that's really what it is. 
And I was shocked. I'm being transparent. Don't hold this against me. But I was shocked how hard it was for me to make my request known to God. I'm being honest with you. And he said, you have not because you ask not. I felt that prompting in prayer while I was considering this in my mind. Ask. Just just ask. Amen. Just ask. I feel the Holy Ghost in this today. Just ask. James assures us that he gives it generously. Amen. Generously. And that we have not, the scripture says, because we ask not. He said, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Just ask and believe. Praise God. And so he's really not giving personal advice here. If we could kind of boil this down right to our front step, he's given a divine command. Let him ask. Ask. Therefore, calling on the Lord for wisdom in in times of trouble is not an option. We should call on him. And so if we're being tested and we're not being driven to the Lord and we're not developing a deeper prayer life, then, then, then obviously we're missing the point. And God may have to turn the flame a little bit higher to get our attention to, you, you would think prayer for a Christian would be an easy thing, Right? You would think devotion and dedication, you would think all of those things would be an easy thing. You'd think faithfulness, that would be an easy thing. But see, the enemy knows right where the the wedge is. He knows right where to put the wedge. He knows right where the crevice is. And so he starts driving wedges right then between us and the altar, between us and one another, between us and the house of God, amen, between us and the word of God, between us and past experiences. I believe the Holy Ghost is speaking to somebody here today, amen. The enemy knows right where to set the wedge and and just how much to drive it. Just gently nudge it day after day after day after day. But I want to run to an altar of prayer and say, God, I need your help. I want to turn to his word, not always just looking for a solution or an answer to my question, but I need strength. I need to put something in my heart to lift me up and to strengthen me. And I certainly need to be in the house of God because I need the fellowship of my brothers and sisters and I need the word of God and the encouragement that's going to come. I need the directions and the directives that will be given from the beginning of the service to the end. Solomon writes again in Proverbs 2 and 3, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shall thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I have no idea it would have been interesting to have brought these statistics to um, to light today if, if there would be any such thing as getting an average but but I can tell you that it takes an, there has to be an intense an unbelievable amount of earth to be mined in order to get just ounces of worth out you, you don't generally people in the gold rush era they didn't get rich because they just walked up there and found one nugget of gold the size of this pulpit. But they mined 
tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons. They walked away with a little and, and Solomon said, you need to seek wisdom like you would seek silver. You're gonna have to be pretty careful. You're gonna have to be very diligent. You're gonna have to search like you're searching for a hidden treasure. Amen? I'm not good at finding things. And if you don't think that's true, I'll invite you to follow me around tomorrow. I set my keys down, set my phone down. I tell my wife all the time, if I had the time back I spent looking for things, I'd live to be an old man. Amen. You've got to seek. you got to seek. But it's there. It's right there. Amen. You may have to move something <laughs> to find it. I can't find the ketchup. I can't find the It's in there. I can't find it. Then I hear her steps coming and I feel 12 years old. <laughs> She's getting closer and closer. Oh, no. Oh, no. And there it was, hidden behind the bottle of Tabasco sauce. (laughs) Completely out of sight. Not a man in this room could have found it either, so. (laughs) It's only the ladies that are laughing. All the men are going, I've been there. (laughs) Those bottles of hot sauce can hide a whole lot of things. And so she always says, you may have to move something. Enough about our miserable life, but I'm just telling you, I'm teasing. Sometimes we need to move something. Move something. Because there's something, there's an obstruction there that's blocking our view. Amen. The Lord expects us to ask. I'm going to quickly hasten to a close here, but Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Here, Here it is, ready? Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I believe that Jeremiah has it nailed. God is revealing himself. I'm not trying to play hide and go seek to mess with you. You seek for me, you will find me. You will find me. You call upon me. You pray unto me. I will hearken unto you. You seek me and you find me. Amen. Because he said, I know how I feel about you. The only condition, again, placed on us here is that proactiveness on our part to call upon him. So when we simply come to the Lord asking for his help and wisdom, immediately he gives it to us generously because he never casts reproach on those who come seeking for him in the time of trouble. Amen. He will say to us in effect what he said to his people through the psalmist, to his people Israel through the psalmist David in 81 and 10. He said, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt Now listen to this. Open thy mouth wide. Man, I'll feel it. But again, there's a proactive response that is needed from us. Open thy mouth wide. 
Some people simply doubt God will give them what they need or they rationalize perhaps their doubt in countless ways. Maybe they think, I'm just so undeserving and so I won't ask. That may be true, but that's irrelevant. Or we may think that our needs are not worthy of God's attention. Again, that may be true, but that's not relevant. Because God in his sovereignty takes interest in the things that concern us. If it concerns us, it concerns him. Amen. Others are inclined to dispute with God, wondering, wondering how a, the God of all ages would allow calamity to come in their life in the first place or why the Lord doesn't provide them some way out. But when we don't take God at his word, we either doubt his ability or we doubt his trustworthiness. And I just want to say again for good measure that you can't partially trust someone. You either trust or you don't. If they can't be trusted with your credit card, then don't trust them with your pen. <laughs> because trust is trust. You either trust them or you don't. Amen. I'm, <laughs> I'm going, I've got enough sense to leave that alone and just move on. Paul admonishes us to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so he's admonishing us not to doubt, but to praise him. Paul assures us that my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so when we doubt, then James says that we are <clears throat> like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He like ancient Israel whom Elijah rebuked in 1 Kings 18 and 21. The Bible says in, in 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the, and the people answered, we answered him not a word. How long are you gonna stand on the fence Amen. Then that's why James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so when we go through severe trials, sometimes we turn to human resources rather than trusting the Lord for help. Or maybe sometimes people just get bitter and indifferent and seek no help at all. Amen. They may not renounce God, certainly, but they may act as if God isn't capable of delivering them from their trouble. But James points out later in his lesson that a person's problem, of course, is sin, regardless of how they may view themselves. A double-minded man is a person that's trying to serve two gods, and the Lord strictly says you cannot do that. It is impossible to do that because he said either you will hate the one and love the other or else you will hold the one and despise the other. And so equally a person who is a friend of God is an enemy of the world. And I'll promise you there is an exit ramp right there for a whole nother sermon. Amen. If we are a friend of God, then we need to be an enemy of the world and sin should create a disdain in our life and our heart. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. There is no other way to love him. You can't just love him a little, trust him a little, but we need to pour our selves, our whole self, and so we're going to make it because God said we're just going to submit our will to his will, put our confidence in his word, 
and he will help us through. Amen. May God bless you. Let's worship the Lord. Can we do that? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.